Good morning, River West Church. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word with you. Uh, If you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And I want to let you know that I have been praying for you that God will speak to your heart this morning, um, wherever you are. Maybe in your living room, you might be with family, or maybe you're by yourself um, watching on your phone or you know watching on your iPad. Um, but I've been praying that God would really speak to you by His Holy Spirit this morning, because you know I'm looking to God each week to give us exactly what we need for these times, and I think the best place for us to go is in the Word. So again, grab your Bible. We're going to open up to Acts chapter 2. For the last couple of Sundays, Pastor Adam has been teaching us that the resurrection of Christ is not only true, but it's beautiful. And I've kind of latched on to that expression. I couldn't agree more. I think the resurrection of Christ is 100% true, but it's more than just truth. It's actually life-changing truth, and it's beautiful truth. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I would like to share with you what I consider to be the two most beautiful truths of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here they are. I'm going to give them up front. The two most beautiful truths of Jesus Christ the risen Lord. Truth number one, Jesus Christ is the living Lord and King. He has full authority over all things in this world and all things in my life. So truth number one, Jesus Christ is Lord and he is King. Here's truth number two, Jesus Christ is alive and present And he's working right here and right now in my life. Now, those are beautiful truths. What would it look like in your life if you fully believed those two things? And what if you held those two things firmly together in your heart as one? You just sort of intertwined those two truths. I believe that these two truths were the truths that completely transformed the lives of the disciples, the first followers of Christ. And it didn't happen in just a moment or even in one day. It actually took over 40 days for them to really get this lesson. But once they did, their lives were never the same. And actually, the world was never the same. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, in verse 29. And what I want to do is I want to show you these two truths as they appear in this paragraph in the book of Acts. And then we're going to see how it would apply to our lives as well. So let me set the stage before we read uh, verses 29 through 36 Because we're sort of jumping in right in the middle of Peter's first sermon. It's the day of Pentecost. So pente means 50 in Greek. So what it means is this is actually 50 days after Passover. So it's it's just under 50 days 
after the resurrection of Christ, after Easter Sunday. And the Bible tells us in Acts 1 that Jesus had spent 40 days with the disciples, actually appearing to them over a period of 40 days. So take those 40 days and add uh, 10 or, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 days of pure prayer. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the miracle of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. We call it the birth of the church. Christ poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples, on his followers, and it was miraculous. And they began to speak in different languages, all of the languages of the people that had gathered in Jerusalem. And people everywhere were hearing this commotion and hearing these Galileans speaking in all these different languages and telling stories of the glories of God. And they, the people rushed together and said, what is going on? So this great crowd gathered, and then Peter stood up, and he gave his very first sermon. Now, this sermon was very effective because over 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. And this sermon was completely focused on Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. So he's talking about Jesus, the risen Lord, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, and he's quoting from the Psalms, and he's making his points. And now we pick up the story, we pick up the sermon here in Acts chapter 20, in verse 29. And it goes like this. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens... But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, there it is. And so we kind of picked up three quarters of the way through this sermon and we read the last paragraph of the sermon and he concludes the sermon at that point, speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And the first thing that I want us to notice is the radical transformation that took place in the life of Peter and the disciples. There's a couple of words that catch my attention in this passage. One of them is in verse 29 where Peter says, Brothers, may I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. And then he goes on with his sermon. I want you to notice the word confidence. Peter says, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm absolutely confident 
than what I'm saying to you. And then if we go down to verse 36, at the end of the sermon, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So I'm focusing in on the word confidence and certainty. And what it reminds me of is the radical transformation that took place in the life of Peter and the disciples because confidence and certainty were not the themes that we found in their lives just less than 50 days prior. If we were to roll the tape back, we'll go back to that passage in Acts chapter 20 that Pastor Adam shared with us last Sunday. And we think about the disciples hiding in that room, doors locked, shades pulled. They're in there literally trembling for fear of their lives. Their confidence is shot. I would characterize them as hiding, fearful, defeated, ashamed, and confused. And I think that accurately describes what was going on in that room before Jesus, the risen Lord, appeared and showed up in their midst. And they were, their minds were completely blown. Now, when I hear Peter in this sermon and remember that he's standing, it says earlier in the chapter, Peter stood up with the eleven. So it's not like, you know, here he's at a podium by himself speaking to a crowd. There's a crowd of people there, and he stands up, and the 11 stand with him. And his attitude has completely changed. His outlook, his demeanor has 100% changed. And now I would characterize him as bold, confident, and certain. This is one of the great transformations in all of history. I believe this is one of the most powerful facts in all of recorded history. It is the transformation of the first followers of Christ from doubtful, fearful, confused individuals to bold, confident, certain followers of Christ who left that room and went out and changed the world. And I can tell you why this happened, this transformation happened. And it's actually in our text. It's in chapter 2 and in verse 32. So you don't want to skip over this too fast when you're reading all this language about Jesus and the resurrection. You want to focus on this. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that, we all are witnesses. Peter and the 12 were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And it wasn't just Peter and the other disciples. It was actually Peter and the apostles. And then later, it tells us in Corinthians that he appeared to many, at many times. And, and one time, he appeared to over 500 people. One of the things that the New Testament wants us to know is that there were eyewitnesses to the reality of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Now, they didn't just see him one time, and I find this fascinating. 
but they saw him over and over again. In fact, we're told back in chapter 1, I'm just going to read to you from chapter 1 in verse 3. It says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, Jesus just kept showing up. That's why we have different accounts in the Gospels and in Corinthians of Jesus showing up, Jesus appearing in different settings to the disciples, Jesus appearing to different individuals sometimes, different times in different places. And what Jesus did for 40 days was he convinced them of his resurrection life. They were able to say, it's not a ghost. It's not a mirage. (laughs) It's not something weird that got put in the water. Actually, Jesus is alive. And so for 40 days, Jesus hammered into their hearts these two truths. I'm alive and I'm with you. I'm alive and I'm with you. Those two beautiful truths, I'm alive, I'm the living Lord, I've conquered death, and I'm with you. Those two beautiful truths were drilled into their hearts and minds. And you know what? It was like weaving together a strand of truth over and over and over again. And that strand became a great cable of confidence in God who raises the dead. No wonder they were transformed and they were confident. It's amazing. But now let's take a minute and let's look at our two beautiful truths as they appear in this sermon because they're here and it's going to be really easy to find them. So truth number one is that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Jesus Christ has all authority, full authority over all things in this life and in this world. Our passage is filled with the language of kingship and authority. So let's look at it again. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being a prophet, therefore, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, notice the word throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that were all witnesses. Now listen carefully. And being therefore exalted... To the right hand of God. That's the language of authority. Jesus, the King, is exalted to the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the place of all authority and all power. But then let's read on in verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but who did? Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, the place of all authority and power. But David said, and now he's going to quote from Psalm 110, a very important psalm. 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the language of power, victory, and authority. Jesus exalted to the highest place at the right hand of God, the place of power and authority, sitting on that throne with God and now subduing all of the enemies of God. Now that's power and that's authority. And that's amazing. So and then you get to the punchline of the whole sermon in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, there it is, Lord and Christ. And Christ actually means king. Jesus is the king Jesus has authority over all things. Now, the question is, how did the disciples know this? You know, where did they come up with this information? It wasn't something that they figured out on their own. So if you go back to what I read you from chapter 1, remember Jesus appeared for 40 days. And Jesus, what was he doing? He was giving them proof of his resurrection and speaking to them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of Christ. And what Jesus did for 40 days is he gave them a Bible study showing what it meant that he was Christ, the risen king, ruling over the kingdom of God and bringing that kingdom to bear in a broken world. Oh man, their hearts were electrified with this beautiful truth. Jesus is Lord and King. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. In fact, Jesus said that in Matthew 28, another resurrection appearance. You remember Matthew 28 and verse 18? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore. And you know what he said at the end of Matthew 28? He said, and I will be with you. I am Lord and King. I have all authority and I'm with you. The two beautiful truths of the resurrection. Jesus taught them this truth. Now imagine the disciples putting all this together. I think it took 40 days to sink in. Because they're looking at Jesus. They see the resurrected Jesus and they see the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. And they know this is the same Jesus that walked with us for three years. This is the same Jesus who taught us, who loved us so well, who broke bread with us, who healed the sick and delivered people from satanic bondage. This is the same Jesus. And now it's, it's dawning on them, wait a minute. Now we see who Jesus really is. He's not just the Lord of Israel. He's the Lord of the whole world. He's the king of the universe. Now imagine the thrill of the disciples when that began to dawn on them. Imagine them straightening up their backs, their hearts being filled with confidence, with certainty, with courage. Imagine their outlook and how it would change when they went out into that dangerous, broken world and experienced so much opposition. So many people came against them. Some of them were put to death. So many controversies, so much upheaval in their lives, so many challenges. And yet, from the beginning to end of the book of Acts, what you see is confidence, certainty, confidence, certainty, push forward, no matter what the obstacle, 
push forward. Why? Because of beautiful truth number one, Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And beautiful truth number two, he is alive and he's present in my life. He's at work right here and right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. They could never look at their lives or their challenges or their struggles in the same way. Now, I like to, to put it like this. They knew that Jesus is the guaranteed good ending to the story. That's just a phrase that I came up with a long time ago, and it's always resonated with me. Jesus is the guaranteed good ending to the story, to the big story, like the universal story, the, the story of world history, the story of, of death and life. He's the guaranteed good ending, but he's the guaranteed good ending for my story, too. You know, when my kids were young, I used to uh, tell them bedtime stories every night. I told so many stories that finally one day I actually turned to them. They said, tell us a story. I said, no way. <laughs> I am done telling stories. I don't have one more story in my mind. And I said, you know what? It's your turn. You tell me a story. <laughs> and the kids looked at me like, what? And I remember one of them said, well, we don't know how to tell a story. And I said, oh, it's easy. Is all what you need for a good story is this. You need a good beginning, a good ending, and a lot of trouble in the middle. That's what makes a good story. A good beginning, a good ending, and a lot of trouble in the middle. And especially if in that trouble, in the middle of that story, there's something or someone that you care deeply about. Let me give you a really corny example. Okay, So I said, I'll give you an example. And I told him another story. And I guess who was in the story? The cutest, sweetest, most adorable baby bunny that the world has ever known. And do you know what happened to the baby bunny? It got lost from its mother and it was lost in the woods. It could not find its mommy. Now imagine in the life of a child, they're listening to this story. You have them hooked. They're like, what? A baby bunny? What? Can't find its mom. Okay, what do you got? You got trouble. You got trouble, and it's something that you actually, these kids care about that. What's going to happen to the bunny? So you tell the story, and you know what? There's a good ending because, oh, thank God, you know, the mom found the bunny, and the evil hunter was trying to kill him, but, you know, so you get a good ending, right? I mean, it's simple. That's, that's the way that uh, a story should go, in my opinion. And you know what's cool? That's actually the story of the Bible, got a good beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made all things, all things were good. You have a good ending. Jesus Christ returns in glory, and he establishes his kingdom and his reign and his authority and his goodness on the earth. And you got a lot of trouble in the middle, and all of it matters. Jesus is the guaranteed good ending to the story, and to your story as well, and to my story. Now, this is exactly why Jesus was able to stand at the tomb of Lazarus, his dear friend, in John chapter 11. Jesus came to the tomb, and Lazarus had been dead for three days. The story had a good beginning because he was a friend of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and um, they loved Jesus Good, good beginning to the story. 
But now they're in a world of hurt. They're in a world of trouble. Lazarus, the beloved brother, is dead. He's been dead for three days. The tomb is already sealed. People are just crushed. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 11. It's a great, great passage. Jesus says in John eleven twenty three, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? We're not really sure what Martha believed if you read on in the story. But you know, that question resonates with me. Do you believe this? You know what Jesus said to her? He said, Martha, I'm the guaranteed good ending to this story. She said, oh, I know someday. Someday maybe that'll happen. He says, no, you don't get it. I'm standing in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the guaranteed good ending. I want you to believe this in your life. Well, that's what the disciples experienced in their life, and that's exactly what God wants us to experience in our lives as well. Now, I've been dwelling on truth number one, and I'm just going to briefly touch on truth number two, because then I want to go to application. Truth number two is that Jesus is alive and present. Right here, right now, he's working in my life, in your life. Now, that's... Back in Acts chapter 2, this part about the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 2 verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, of this we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now Peter begins to talk about Jesus, the King, the Lord, in all power and authority, and he's poured out his spirit on his church, on his disciples, on these believers. He's pouring out his spirit, and Jesus had taught them very carefully. Jesus said, I'm going to be leaving, but I will not leave you alone, for I will send you another comforter. I will send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of the living Christ at work in his church, at work in our lives. And so they were confident, not only that Jesus is King and Lord, but Jesus is right here. He's right here right now. He's at work in our midst. He's at work in our lives. How powerful is that? What would it look like for you to believe those two beautiful truths and hold them together as one in your heart? So now I want to talk about trusting Jesus Christ, the risen King. I'm going to talk about applying this truth to our lives. I'm going to give you an unusual illustration. I want you to picture in your mind the Golden Gate Bridge. It's iconic. You can do it. Just think about it. There's San Francisco. There's the bay. There are the two towers rising up 764 feet. They're painted kind of like reddish or orange. You can see the span going across the bay. It's about a mile of span suspended from these two towers, right? Can you picture that in your mind? Just picture that for a minute. I use this image as 
an image for my faith experience in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, they said that it was a bridge that could not be built. The span was too long. The water was too turbulent underneath for them to find anchor points. The coast was too rugged. The winds that blew through the bay were too severe. And they said it could not be done. But Joseph Strauss took on the project as the head engineer in 1930. The bridge opened on May 27th in 1937. So there's a lot of time planning, a lot of time building this thing. And it took a lot of effort to make it happen. They sunk into the foundation of each of these towers enough concrete to pave a sidewalk from San Francisco all the way to New York and back. That's a lot of concrete. The foundation was secure. There were 27,500 strands of wire woven together to make 80,000 miles of cable. Wow. It's really an amazing feat of engineering. On the day that they opened it, on May 27, 1937, Joseph Strauss gave a speech because some people were nervous about going out onto the bridge. And so this is what he said to the people. He said, if right now we were to cover the Golden Gate Bridge from end to end with limousines, and all the limousines were full of people, and in between the limousines, there were people standing everywhere, completely filling the bridge. And if at that very moment, a 75-mile-per-hour gale began to blow against the side of the bridge, and if at that very moment, somebody went up and cut each of the main cables in half, the Golden Gate Bridge would stand. What a speech. What confidence. And then he cut the ribbon, and you know what happened? 200,000 people rushed out onto that bridge in total confidence. I love that image. Well, you know, it was put to the test years later. On the 50-year anniversary in 1987, they had... Uh, banned all cars from the bridge, and they were going to allow foot traffic. They expected 50,000 people to show up, but 800,000 people came to that 50-year celebration, and 800,000 people walked out onto the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was the greatest weight that had ever been on that bridge. And if you can imagine the bridge, it, it kind of has an arc like this. It flattened the arc of the bridge completely flat, and people were freaking out, and it started to sway a little bit. It's actually built to sway in the wind, and people were freaking out. And the engineers were saying, it's no problem. It's no problem. It's going to stand. Why will it stand? Because the foundations are so strong. Because the towers are so strong. Because the cables are so strong. Now, I use this as, as an image, as an illustration of my faith in Christ. I want you to think about this. Imagine yourself walking out on that bridge. You're in the middle of the bridge. Down below you, there, there's a rough, turbulent ocean. 
There's white caps down there and foam spraying. Just then, a storm begins to blow sideways against you. You're starting to get nervous. The bridge is starting to vibrate a little bit. You're saying, hey, what's happening here? I want you to imagine yourself now looking up to your right and seeing tower number one on your right. A tower that is anchored with tons and tons and tons of concrete into an immovable foundation. And then you look up on your left and you see tower number two. And it's anchored into the ground, into the rock, with thousands and thousands of tons of concrete. And the cables are stretched across 80,000 miles. And you realize, I'm safe. I'm secure. This is what I do in my Christian faith. I believe these two beautiful truths. The truth of Christ, Lord and King, with all authority, over all things in this life and this world. And the truth that Jesus Christ is living and present right here, right now in my life, those are the two towers of my Christian faith. Those are the two anchor points of my confidence in God. Do you have that confidence in your life? I want you to have that confidence. It's time to believe in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If not, where will you put your confidence? What will be strong enough to hold you? How will the story end for this world or for your life in particular? It's time to put your trust in Christ. Can I return just for a minute to our story in the book of Acts? Because I'm impressed by the response of the crowd in Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What a great response. They heard this. I think it's not just that they heard the facts and the points. I think they heard the voice of confidence of Peter. I think they saw him as a transformed person who spoke with conviction and with authority and with confidence and with certainty because he had seen the risen Christ. And they heard the, the logic from Scripture, and they realized God has a purpose and a plan, and he's, it's unfolding right in front of me. I want to be a part of this. I don't want to miss it. And they said, well, what should we do? How are we going to respond? And Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day. 3,000 souls, 3,000 people came to faith. What shall we do? Oh, here's the answer. You need to repent and be baptized. Baptism is the symbol of faith and trust in Christ that you're identifying with the gospel message of Christ. He died and he rose again. That's baptism. Repentance means I'm changing my allegiance. I'm changing my trust from, from wherever it was, and now I'm placing it on Christ who died for my sins and rose again. What should we do? Oh, here's the thing. 
Put your trust in Christ. Move your life under the sure foundation of Christ. That's the answer that Peter gives. That's the answer for us. You might be uh, listening in and, and saying, you know, I'm not sure I've done that. Well, today's the day to put your trust in Christ. You can pray and tell him. You're placing your life in his hands. You're putting your trust in him. But for many of us, we've been walking with Christ for, for years now. And you know, the answer is the same. It's time to put your trust fully in Christ. And maybe more so now than at any time in our life experience. So now I'm going to take you quickly to one other place in Scripture because I want to ask, what does it look like to put our trust in the God who raises the dead? What would it look like for us right here and right now in these strange times to do that? So I'm going to take you to an unexpected place. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and we'll close with this. And it's the faith passage. It's the faith chapter of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. It's all about what we call the heroes of faith. And there's one passage that really catches my attention today. It's Hebrews 11 in verse 17. Listen to this. Now, we've gone to the Old Testament illustration of Abraham. 1117, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, I know I've, I've segued, I've taken a right turn here at, to, to kind of a, a whole different thing, but I'm doing it because I think if you believe these two beautiful truths of the resurrection, Jesus is King and Lord, and he has all authority in heaven and earth over all things. Everything that's going on in your life. And number two, you believe that Jesus is living and present and at work in your life, then it's going to take a life of faith to live into that. It's going to take a life of trust for us to really embrace that. And in this case, Abraham shows us what it will look like to live with confidence in a God who raises the dead. And what did Abraham do? So if you know the story, you know that God had promised Abraham and Sarah, who were childless, to have a child, and through that child, God would bring salvation to the world. And that's Isaac. And in one of the most dramatic stories in all of the Bible in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, of this promised saving child, I want you to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. And it's a radical story. And Abraham takes his son and he binds him and he lays him on an altar and he gets the knife out to sacrifice. It's just a crazy story. I was teaching this story many years ago in Minsk, in Belarus, through a Russian translator. And my translator was a new Christian, had never read the Old Testament. And I'm reading the story and telling the story. And, and right at the moment where Abraham takes the knife and he's holding it over his son, the translator burst into tears. She just started sobbing. I'm not kidding you. She was full on doing the ugly cry. And I looked at her and I said, what's wrong? She said, oh, but it's so cruel. It's so cruel. And I said, 
But wait, hang on, the story's not over yet. <laughs> There's a lot of trouble in the middle. But you know what? There's a guaranteed good ending because God is the author of the story. And then I read on how God told him, pull back the knife. Do not offer him as a sacrifice. I myself will provide the sacrificial lamb. It's one of the great stories of the Old Testament. But what I want us to look at was the faith of Abraham. Abraham laid on the altar that which was most precious to him. Abraham laid on the altar that which had been promised to him by God himself. Abraham could not comprehend what God was doing or why. And yet, Abraham believed in a God who's actually able to raise the dead. And so he opened his hands and he surrendered that which was most precious to him. I know that many of you right now are faced with all kinds of loss in life, and loss of job, loss of income, for some loss of health. And um, it's just a really amazing time. I know people who are struggling because they feel like they're going to lose their business. And what's extra weird is they feel like, God gave me this business. <laughs> this was God. I mean, I, I saw God's hand in all of this. Why would, this, why would God now take this away? I can't answer that question, but I can tell you this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's in charge of all things. He is present and at work with your life. Jesus is a guaranteed good ending, and I can tell you this, a life of faith in Christ the Lord means you have to open your hands. You're going to have to yield control of that thing, maybe the thing that you love the most, and, and offer it up to the Lord and say, Lord, here, because you know what? I believe that in the end, you have a plan, you have a purpose, you're in control, you're with me, you're at work, and I'm going to keep trusting you and watch and see what you will do. That's the kind of faith that these disciples lived in the book of Acts. And that's the kind of faith I would like to live in my life. And I would hope for you as a follower of Christ, anchor your life in these beautiful truths of Christ's resurrection. Let's take a minute and pray about that. Our Father, I come to you with a humble heart this morning, recognizing that to read these truths, to hear these truths is one thing, but to fully embrace them is another thing, Lord. And I pray for your help. Lord, I see myself and I see my brothers and sisters walking out on that bridge in a storm. The sea is raging. There's a lot of apprehension and questions that we have. Would you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, show us the anchors and the towers of our faith in Christ? Would you, Lord, teach us that you are king and that you have a plan? Would you come, Lord, and whisper assurance to our hearts and give us the faith to let go, to just yield our lives to you, and then to go live the great adventure of seeing how you will write the end of this good story that you're writing? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.